Good morning, and a happy Father's Day. Although I won't be preaching a Father's Day message, uh, it definitely applies to the fathers in the room, so, and the mothers, and the children. The uh, It's actually a message that's been in everybody's mouth the last few weeks. The message is about the tongue. So literally, it's been everybody's mouth. But um, yeah, you can laugh. It's okay. Lame, lame joke. Um, no, it is though. It, it is one of the. Uh, this is one of the things when I started the book of James. I thought, boy, when we get to this part, uh, it if if um, if there's not something that gets on your toes today. You've probably been living completely alone in a hole somewhere because it has been um, very convicting to me as I've studied it and just reading the chapter, chapter three of James is where we'll be. Just reading the chapter is very convicting and then as you really start looking into what it's saying and how powerful this little thing is in our mouth. All right, so... We'll be in James 3, just kind of back up, and it's been like two months, I think, since I preached, so it's been a little while since we went through the first two chapters of James, so I want to give a quick overview of what that was. The entire book of James, if you can sum it up, is basically about coming to maturity in Christ. That's what, if you just kind of look at the entire context of James, basically it is grow up. James is saying, listen, Christians, you need to grow up spiritually. And this is what that looks like. That's what the book of James is. It's very practical, applying all of our knowledge that we have in in Christ. And the spirit that he's given us and the changed heart that he's given us, he's saying, this is what it's going to look like walked out. And, you know, it's just like I was talking to Randy just a while ago after Paul, you know, talking about, the SBC convention and some of the things that went on there. And and it amazes me that you can have somebody that appears to have good theology sometimes. They can have, they, they can know all the solas. They can tell you the doctrines of grace. And yet their theology doesn't go deep enough to where they actually walk that out. You know, and, and, um, that's what we don't want to do. We don't want to have this good head knowledge of certain points in our theology, but not good enough theology that we actually look like the Christian. And that's what James, I think, is exactly dealing with. He's saying, you want to be a Christian? You're going to look like a Christian. And today we're going to hear about, you're going to talk like a Christian. So in chapter 1, he told us one of the, one of the characteristics of a mature Christian Remember, chapter one was all about patience. It was about enduring trials. Be patient during be patient during trials and tribulations. Turn to Christ in those times. Be patient um, in persecutions when things aren't going your way, whether it be physical, mental, spiritual. The attacks are coming from all directions. He says, "Be patient," and the way that you deal with those is a mark. By being patient is a mark of a Christian. In chapter 2, he talks about the second the second trait of the mature Christian is that they practice the truth that they believe. It was all about the works. You say you're a Christian, you should be working for Christ. You should be up and about your father's business, right? And now as we go on into James chapter 3, we see it what we say, what we talk about, the way that we say it, all of those things. So that's what we're going to look at in the first part of chapter 3 today. We're going to look at the third trait of a Christian that we should that should be evident. So James 3, verse 1, he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And I know anybody who, hopefully, anybody who has ever taught in a biblical way, it's almost like a shudder 
when you read that, right? I mean, that is a very sobering statement for anybody who teaches the Word of God and for anybody who desires to teach the Word of God. We have a lot of guys in here who have been feel like they've been called to pastor or called to ministry in some sort to be teachers. And let me tell you something, that should be a verse that you think about often and deeply because it is serious. Teachers should be com- conscious of the potential influence of what they say because here's the thing. Words lie at the heart of ministry. That's what we do. Most of our ministry, a lot of, a lot, especially when it comes to teaching, what is it? It's just us using words, right? We're writing them. We're speaking them. And how those words come out and what they are is critical. So because of the position and the authority that God gives with this position, the words that are used carry more weight than normal. Is that true? If somebody's standing behind a pulpit and they say something, should it not be, I mean, should it not be trustworthy? Should you not generally be able to say, well, the, the preacher said this. And this is why we should approach this with fear and trembling. Because I am at, f- now, just like Paul said this morning, the Bereans examined what the Apostle Paul was teaching to see if it was true. And that, and they were commended for it. And we would always recommend that all of you do that. Examine what's coming from any pulpit that you hear. But the reality is, when I stand here, I know that not everybody's going to do that. And so I must be extremely careful in what I say so that I know that it is truth. And this is why, I mean, if you think about when Jesus was on the earth, who was it that he was the most strict with? Who was it that he came down the hardest on? It wasn't the sinners. It wasn't, it wasn't the woman at the well, right, who had a promiscuous life. Um, it wasn't the tax collectors, the one who were basically kind of selling out for Rome. No, who was it? It was the religious leaders of the day. It was the Pharisees. It was the priests. Why? Because they are supposed to be the teachers. They're held to a higher standard. It's the people that have studied enough that they should know better. And that's who he's talking about in chapter one, so, or in verse one. So keep that in mind as we go through the rest of this. And, and this applies to all as we look at verse, look at verse two. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. No false perfection here, right? This kind of does away with the sinless perfection idea that once you become a Christian, you can somehow overcome and not be a sinner anymore. No, James, this is the apostle, this is the Lord's brother, James, who says, we all, all, we all stumble in many ways. And so he's, and, and you notice there he starts the verse with four. So it's like because. He's given the purpose of verse one. We all stumble in many ways. We fall short. James fell short. Paul fell short. We all fall short. And that is the reason why, if you're a teacher of the Word of God, you must approach it with this fear and trembling. You must approach it with great caution because we know we're apt to stumble does that make sense i mean if you're going to teach the word of god i mean when i when i'm going to teach the word of god i know me i know me better than you do i think it was miles mckee when he was here a few weeks ago said if you knew me like i know me there's no way you would sit and listen or you wouldn't even want to talk to me or something to that effect it's true it's true and so because I know that, because I know I'm inclined to make mistakes, and I know I'm inclined to put my own thoughts in here, that's why in verse 1 he says, approach it. He says, be, uh, that's why they will receive a stricter judgment.
and so as we go on into the chapter, most of the ch- focus on this chapter is usually on the negative, right? So as we go forward, we're going to look at that. Um, it's like when you think about controlling the tongue, most of the time, what do you think about? You think, I shouldn't be saying these bad things. I shouldn't be so harsh when I say things. You know, it's it's on the negative side, and that's very true. We're going to talk about that. But there's more to it than that. Let's move on to the next verse. Verse 3. He says, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. And just being an animal lover and around animals a lot, I think about this from time to time. I haven't, I haven't, I don't have a lot of experience with horses, but it always amazes me with any animal that we can control it. And I think that we've become so accustomed to seeing these things, maybe on TV, maybe in reality, that we lose the awe of what's really going on here, like with a horse. Is there any horse people in here? you guys are horse, so you guys will understand this. Anybody that's ever been around a horse, do you, do you know how big the average horse is, the average riding horse in America? It's over a thousand pounds, probably close to twelve hundred pounds. That's half a ton. And you can take, I mean, I, my, I got new neighbors and I was watching them yesterday morning. They have, they have horses and they were out riding them. And one of them is, what is she, eight? I think she's eight, and the other one's ten, is that right? Eleven. One of them's eleven. I mean, little bitty girls, and they're out there controlling this 1,200-pound animal. It does exactly what it, what they tell them to. All by what? By this little piece of steel in their mouth. That's it. That's the bit. The bit goes in the mouth, and that's how they control the horse. They can stop it, and then when they give it rain, it lets it go. They pull one side and it turns the whole 1200 pound body with this little piece of steel in the mouth. And that's what he's, that's what he's talking about here. The average horse can run over 35 miles an hour for long distances. Right? The record speed is like 43 or 44 miles per hour. The, the point is the horse is bigger, faster, stronger, way stronger than a human. And yet, little bitty piece of steel in the horse's mouth little piece of steel in the horse's mouth and you can control the complete animal and that that analogy is so perfect for us james is saying if you can control your tongue if you can control the words you use then you will have control over the rest of your body But if you can't control your tongue, then you're not broke, right? You're like, you're like a bucking bronc that's running loose in the field. It's no good to nobody, right? But it, once you are broke, then you, can, um, then you can be beneficial. So, but, but let's look closer. That's the negative. I mean, that's just the control. But let's look closer. How good is it if all you can do, how good is a horse if all you can do is slow it down or stop it? Can you herd cattle that way? Can you trend, can you go on, like in this time when James is writing this, can you get from point A to point B like that? No, the horse is going to go where it wants to. What else does the bit do? The bit does more than just stop the animal. The bit, the bit controls the whole horse. Right? That's what we need to be thinking about when, we, when we're looking at the tongue, controlling the tongue. That is what it looks like to move on into maturity. It's not just knowing when not to speak, although that is extremely important. It's, there's times when we just have to sh- just shut our mouth. No matter how bad you want to let this person have it or how bad you want to say something, the wise thing to do is to be quiet. That's step one. But it's also knowing when to speak It's also knowing how to speak, right? He's talking about teachers and preachers and pastors in the church in verse 1. Knowing how to speak 
And how to use the right words is extremely important. And that's not just for teachers, by the way. That's for all of us. That's for all of us Christians. If you want to have a broke spirit, knowing when to speak and how to speak is extremely important. And, and I mean, that's why he starts it with teachers. Teachers must be gifted to use the language. That is a calling from God. Not just anybody has that gift. Okay? Um, sometimes the language, they, they need to communicate effectively as a teacher. Sometimes it may be to comfort the hurting. And sometimes it may be to rebuke when necessary. And that's not an easy task, right? What I just said, learning when to speak, how to speak, what words to use, when not to speak, all of that is a, is a difficult task. It's, an, it's, ama- it's as amazing as taming a 1,200-pound beast with a three-inch piece of steel. Right? Look at verse 4. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. And again, it's an amazing thing. I, I didn't know as much about ships as I do about horses, and I don't know that much about horses, but so I, I did a little research on them. Man, you talk about incredible. These the ships at the time when James was writing this could have been anywhere from 600 to 1,500 tons. These were large vessels, okay? When he's talking about this one in particular, it was probably around seven or 800 tons, just from historical context. Um, 180 feet long, and yet the rudders were only like 20 feet. Very, very small. Less than, a, I mean, probably close to 100 pounds or only hundreds of pounds compared to hundreds of tons, right? Yet the entire ship is controlled by this one small piece underneath it at the back, right? So, and and it's just the same as the horse. As we go on, we'll see it, but the rudder is not just there to stop the ship, right? Matter of fact, the rudder doesn't even stop the ship. It controls the ship, right? Slight turns of the rudder guide the ship where it needs to go. And that's how our tongue, that's, that's what we need to be seeking as Christians is how to control our tongue in order to guide our bodies, in order to guide others, in order to encourage and lift up. Um, and also I want to say this too. As we talk about the tongue here, what James is talking about, it's not like it's just the words that come out of your mouth, right? It's it's words in general. So that would also include the things that we type, right? You might be you might be one of those guys. I know a guy in Oklahoma City like this. When I meet him face to face, he's a he's a nice guy. Ronnie knows who I'm talking about. He he's a nice guy. We have good conversations. So, I mean, a pleasant to be around. And then I see on Facebook, and it's like he's the Facebook police. And he's just spewing things out on that Internet. And it's just like he has no control over his tongue when it comes to the Internet, when it comes to social media. And that's something that we all have to check as well. This is not just about face-to-face conversations. It's not just about talking on the telephone, although obviously it is, but it's also talking about text messages that you send. Everybody seems braver behind a keyboard. And so keep that in mind as we go forward. This is all measures, all levels of communications that we do. And so we see these two big examples of these huge things being controlled by this little bitty small thing. And then verse 5, he says, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So in this section, you can see that the, the tongue has the power to direct. It has the power to guide. 
um, to direct our bodies, to direct others? Who are the others that our tongues might direct? Who are the other ones that we help guide with our speech, with our language, with our words? It's Maybe it's our children, right? Do you guide your children with your words? Maybe it's your employees. Are you a boss and you have to guide with your words? Uh, maybe it's the church body. Maybe it's fellow Christians. Maybe it's your brothers or sisters. Maybe it's your parents. It could be anybody that you are trying to guide. And this is so important. We're trying to guide people to Christ. It's not always put the bit in the mouth and yank on it. It's subtle changes. Just like a ship moving along with the wind to, to guide the ship into the place that you're trying to get it. And then the next part of verse 5, it says, How great a forest is set ablaze by some, such a small fire. Verse 6, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. So now we get to see the next section which is the tongue will damage. Okay, so we see that it guides in the first few verses. Now we're seeing the, the damage of the, of the tongue. And he uses a fire as the, the great analogy here. You guys remember just a couple months ago we had huge fires in western Oklahoma. I mean, it burnt thousands upon thousands of acres. Lots of people um, removed from their homes. A few people died in those fires. Anybody ever go look up what started them? At the time they were going on, nobody knew. They were, they were too busy trying to put the fires out to try to figure out what stopped them. And there was lots of different, what they found, there was lots of different fires that had started up and kind of wound up together. But the few of the fires were set by really, really small things. Uh, one of them was a backfire of a car. You guys ever seen a car backfire? It was on, it was close enough to the side of the road when the car backfired, it blew fire out, just a little, just a quick poof. If you've ever been here on a Wednesday night, you've probably heard Randy's motorcycle do that. Scared me to death one time. <laughs> Sound like a gunshot. <laughs> but that's all it was, was boom, just, I mean, it's that fast and you have a blazing fire destroying acres upon acres. Another one, was a hawk that flew into some power lines. It got, I guess it crossed two power lines, made some sparks, sparks fall down to the grass below. Now that's how dry it is in western Oklahoma. The grass below just, and then with a little bit of wind, a little bit of fuel, a spark becomes a raging grass fire. Is that not a perfect analogy for the way we talk? Is that not, I mean, is that not perfect? We, so we see in these next verses the tongue not only can guide as it does, but it can, it, when it's unbridled, it can and will destro- destroy much in its path. Proverbs 8.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. I mean, just think. Think about this. Think about the way that some small, mere little words have damaged people, families, the church. Right? How many husbands... Here's a good Father's Day message for you. How many fathers have damaged their children by not controlling their tongue. And it was in a moment of anger. It was a spark from a hawk hitting the power line, right? It was a backfire, just a quick backfire from a from a car engine. And it could set your children on a path of destruction. How many ways, men, have you talked to your wives... In just a spark of anger. And you damaged her deeper than you can imagine. Women. 
Wives, how many times have you done that to your husband? How many times have you done that to your children? You know what I'm saying is true. All of you know what I'm saying is true. This little, this little thing in our mouth has caused more trouble than probably anything else in this world. By just, just like a spark in a fire, it, it is incredible what we do. And, and, and it could be harsh words. It could be slanderous words, insults, accusations, right? Um, it could also be gossip. And you, and you have to watch out for Christian gossip. We have a different kind of gossip, don't we? Hey, I want you to pray for old John over there. He really needs our prayers. And then he, he's doing this and this and this. They start naming off all. That's not a prayer request. That's gossip in the form of a prayer request, right? You're using the prayer request as a way to spread things that are going on. Um, so, so be careful with those those forms. And then also gossip is just the old, just talking, talking too much. That's one of those times when the bit needs pulled, right? The reins need to pulled tight. Another thing, useless arguments. And I'm as guilty as charged. I, I get in them sometimes. And it's not good for anybody. When you're, and especially when you're arguing things that it's already been argued and you've already realized, you know, the conclusion that you came to or when you're arguing just to be right and not because you're actually trying to make your point. Does that happen on social media, Any? Anybody got in one of those and it's like you need to do something else, but you're just waiting for that little red bubble to pop back up because you're waiting on them to comment so you can hammer them again? Yeah, I, I, I've been there. Um, and, and then sometimes just the mindless or needless posts on social media, whether it's argument or not. You know, one good thing about social media is there's a record of it. And one bad thing about social media is there is a record of it. And so do this. If you're, if you're one of those social media people, there's probably a few that still aren't in here. But um, if, you, if you like to post a lot on there, go back through your history of what you've posted and find out what's, what's the pattern. Is it encouraging and uplifting? Or is it negative and trying to stir up strife and trying to cause arguments and trying to put down? And I mean, it's a good thing to do. Because it, and there's a the, most people, other than my friend in Oklahoma City and maybe a few others, um, generally you'll see a pattern in what their social media conversations are like compared to what their actual conversations are like, right? And we got to be cautious of these things. We got to be above reproach from this world because we're representing Christ. Right? We're his ambassadors on this earth, and we don't want to misrepresent him. And so, before you post something on Facebook, or before you tweet something, or before you say something, just think about it. Stop and think. Especially when you know it's one of these areas that's getting over into this, onto this line where it's controversial. Stop and think, is this beneficial? to the kingdom of God if I say this, if I write this, if I post this. Okay, moving on. Verse 7 and 8, James chapter 3. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. I mean, that's incredible in itself, right? I mean, we, he talks he talks specifically about the horse because that's a common one that is tame, put a bit in its mouth, and we control it. But even more incredible than that, you guys ever been to the circus? They can make elephants stand up on these little up on these little platform deals, and they can make it pick up balls and throw them around. And uh, in in developing countries, they use elephants as work animals. They pick things up, move heavy objects. That's an elephant. 
That's the biggest land animal that we find commonly. There's nothing more powerful than an elephant. I mean, you go over into Africa, nothing messes with the elephants. Lions, they're going to leave it alone. Things are huge, but yet a human can take one and tame it. And he says, we can tame any wild animal. they got snake charmers taming cobras and stuff. It's crazy, but they do it. But yet, what's he say? But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Does that mean the tongue can't be tamed? Does that mean, as a Christian, you should be like, well, the Bible says I can't tame the tongue, so I should just go on. No, it says no human being can tame the tongue. Just like a horse doesn't put a bridle in its mouth and, and break itself, our tongue can't be tamed that way. So how is that going to happen? How is our tongue, how are we ever going to bring this wild beast into dominion? by Christ. It's by the Holy Spirit. When you're born again, this should be the evidence. That's what James is talking about. You call yourself a Christian. Talk like one. Live like one. Work like one. Right? Be patient through trials like one. And now, tame your tongue. And it's one of those hard things to understand. You're doing it, but it's the Holy Spirit who's doing it in you. And so you need to pray for that. If this is a problem... For you, if it's an ongoing problem, cry out to God because He's the only one that can do it anyway. And by the way, this again, the sinless perfection argument that you hear sometimes, and that what that is is people claim that once you're saved, once you're born again, then you should not sin any longer. And there's people who, I mean, I've heard them do it in the prison. Ronnie will ask a rhetorical, what he thinks is a rhetorical question. Is there anybody in here who's not sinned and there's four or five hands go up i don't think you guys are getting it right but there's people that there's a actually a big teaching that believes that moving on into sinless perfection and it's it's kind of in the word of faith movement and things like that but here's what james says it is a restless evil full of deadly poison but no human being can tame the tongue We can't do it. So, here's the thing. Hopefully you're coming under conviction because I'm I'm sure that all of you have probably failed in this in one way or another, right? I know I have. But there's also people who may be sitting out there who are thinking, yeah, I got this down. I'm pretty good on this subject. Because sin is sin is kind of a funny thing, right? Have you ever been around a smoker? Some of you may be smokers, I don't know. But it's funny. A smoker will, uh, I mean, I've seen them where they'll go outside and they smoke a cigarette. And they walk back in, and they walk back in, and as soon as they walk back in, you can smell the smoke, right? I mean, it's on, it's on their clothes, it's in their hair, it's on everything. And they put in a breath mint. Like, that's somehow going to hide it. Right? And they don't realize they smell like smoke. You know that? Smokers don't realize they smell like smoke. I know this because my dad was a smoker. And when I was 13 and started sneaking them away from him, I was always worried that he would smell it on me. He never did. My mom did. My mom could send it like... But he was a smoker, so he couldn't smell it on me. Why? Because it was always on him. And I'm afraid that's the way it is with a lot of sins that we have. I'm afraid, and that's my fear that we have today, is the people who are struggling less with this will be sensitive to it and repent, and the people who really have a problem with it will be like the smoker going, I don't have a problem with that. And the reason may be because they talk more than they listen. Okay? So I want you to think about that. I want you to think, is this a problem with me? And if it is, I want you to look at repentance. And how does that look like? Or what does that look like? And so the the reality is, here's the reality. If you're sitting there today and you're saying, yeah, this really doesn't apply to me, 
I promise you it applies to you and to you directly. If that's your thought, and I don't know who it is, but it, and hopefully nobody's sitting there thinking that, but if it is you, then it definitely applies to you. Move on. Verse 9 and 10. It says, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. There are times we say things and they are taken the wrong way and the intent was never to harm. Has that ever happened to anybody? You said something, you thought you were just saying, I mean, you didn't have any intentions of any ill meaning or something and people take it wrong. Which also I would caution you if you're one of those people that you seem to take things wrong, just don't do that. Just find out the intent of the heart, right? But it happens, right? But here's the thing. If this continues to happen to you, if there's a pattern that people just seem to be taking me wrong all the time, maybe it's the way you're coming across, right? Maybe the Usually if there's a pattern and you're in it every time, it's probably something you're doing. Okay, and that's what I would say on this. Uh, Matthew 12, Jesus said this, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. Right? And we, we, we can recognize, and that's what this whole book of James is about, right? It is about recognizing a Christian. If you're a Christian and you're not producing any fruit, maybe you're not a Christian. You know, several years ago, we were, there was a group from Oregon or Montana or something that were down and it was with with our friends, Jack and Tracy, who have been missionaries in Bangladesh, they were here and they had a, the, this group that they were with had a tent set up for some tent meetings in Ardmore. And so we went down there to help them and we were going door to door, me and another guy. We were going door to door through this neighborhood in Ardmore and we knock on this guy's door and he's an old man, comes to the door, he can't get around real good and we just get to visit him with him and and um, we find out he's got a he's got a garden. And we're like, oh yeah, well he's like, come here and look at this. We go out there and he has these incredible look I mean, I'm thinking this garden looks awesome. It wasn't very big, but I thought, this man, this looks good. Tomato plants were this tall, completely filled the cages, just beautiful plants, not a weed in sight. I was like, man, these tomato plants look awesome. He goes, look at this. He said, there's not been a tomato on a single one of these plants. Not one of them. I had, he, had, he said, I've never seen this happen. He planted these tomatoes. They grew up into this beautiful, beautiful vine, and there wasn't a single tomato on it. And I was like, huh, okay, God, I think you're opening a door here for me. Because <laughs> this guy was claiming that he was a Christian. But he had never been baptized. He didn't go to church. He just had this encounter, this deal with the man upstairs kind of thing. And I said, I can't remember his name, but I said, you know, those tomato plants are kind of like you. He's like, what are you talking about? I said, well, you say you're a Christian. You claim to be one of us, but yet there's no fruit. I said, what good are these tomato plants to you? He's like, they're not any good at all. I said... And I just kind of, and he, he, I mean, God had given me an illustration right in his backyard. And um, that's what we have here. The way you talk, the way you use your language is an evidence. Either you're the tomato vine with no fruit, claiming to be a Christian, but not, no evidence of it, or you really are producing. He says, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? He's cutting to the heart, right? Jesus cuts straight. He cuts a straight line. You brood of vipers. He's talking, remember, he's talking to religious leaders here. And then he says this. He says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
The good person out of his good treasure bring, brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. He says, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Our own speech betrays us. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you have a problem with your tongue, that is an evidence of a problem with your heart. I'm not saying just because you can't control your tongue, you're not saved. But what I am saying is, if you can't control your tongue, you need to repent and move on into maturity. You need to practice. You need to learn. You need to ponder on those things. The word careless here uh, is the Greek word rima argos. And it also means inactive. The King James translates it idle. For every idle word you speak. Other translations use useless or thoughtless. And so when, when you take that into account, it is not just what you say, how you say it, but also does what you say line up with what you do. I've seen a lot of different areas in life where there's people who talk a big game. Anybody know anybody like that? They're always talking about I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. And then when it actually comes down to doing it, there's a whole lot more talk than there is action. Know anybody like that? I believe James and and Jesus, in this case, address that as well. Those empty words, those idle words. And think about this. Um, fathers making promises to your children and then not fulfilling them, that could be worse than a grass fire, right? Making promises to your wife, wives making promises to your husband and then not following through. For one thing, you're going to lose their trust. But for another thing, it damages. And so for you, and all you can do is control you, each individual person, Make a resolve that if I'm going to make a promise, I'm going to follow through on it. Make that resolve now. Because promises without fulfillment are like the poison he talked about. Um, Back in verse 10, he says, or back in verse 8, it's like poison. A little bit of poison will ruin a whole whatever it is, right? Rat poison is like 1%. Where's Paul? It's like 1% poison and 99% food. Mouse food. Right? It just takes a little bit to run the whole thing. And that's the way these words are. You can say a whole lot of good things in your life. And you can have all these great plans and you can say all of these good things. And one lie will ruin your credibility with the people around you. Let's look on at verse 11. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? You see here he's he's speaking like Jesus. This is coming from the same Holy Spirit. This is inspired Word of God. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. His point is, again, the point of the whole book is, you can't be two things. You can't say all these things and be loving on the other hand. You can't say all these negative, evil things and bless on the other hand. But if you notice here in these in these two verses, James is now comparing the tongue to a fountain and a fig tree. So the first part of the, this section, we had James comparing the tongue to a horse and a ship, or, or to the bridle or the bit and the rudder of a ship. So controlling. Then the next part, we have fire and poison, destruction. 
And now we can see that the tongue can be used when bridled, when used correctly. It can be used to refresh like a fountain and nourish like a fig tree. Can you imagine? I'm I'm really thirsty right now. Can you imagine going through the desert? And actually, I've had this happen. Not the desert, but being without water in in a really hot time when I was I think I was 14 years old. We went on we went on a backpacking trip in the Ozark Mountains in August. If you want some advice on backpacking, Nate, you may have this decision to make sometime with your Boy Scouts. Um, don't go backpacking in the Ozark Mountains in August. It is hot and humid. The heat index was 117 degrees. We had looked at the topographical maps. We knew how to study them. We learned all that stuff. There were plenty of streams on the map that we would be crossing on this Ozark Trail. thought, no problem. We can make it. All we got to do is make it about three hours at a time. We'll be to this stream, then we'll be to this stream. We can refill our canteens. We'll be good to go. When we crossed the first dry stream... Nah, no big deal. I learned something very important about topographical maps that day. If the stream has a dotted line in it, like it's not solid, that means it's seasonal. Dustin knows this. He's shaking his head. Didn't know that before. It's important to know where you're going. Um, So we crossed another dry stream and another one. And so about four hours into the hike, which was probably about five miles, six miles, something like that, um, we're running low on water and we had sweated and I mean we're conserving at that point but that's dangerous when you're carrying a pack and it's 117 the humidity or the heat index is 117 because the humidity is so high you're sweating a lot and um, we finally set up camp because it was too late to go back at that point and we decided okay we're, it was supposed to be a 45 mile hike and come out on the other side this was before cell phones, too, by the way. So when we come back, the next morning we, we, we abandon ship, hike back to the road. And, we're I mean, now we're back to the road. There's cars passing by. What do we do? We're trying to flag them down. They all think we're waving. They're just, ah. And finally, I mean, at this point, nobody has water. There's no water left. And we are dry. That night, just to kind of show you how thirsty I was, that night I dreamed that my mom showed up on a camel and saved us. <laughs> I really, I remember that dream very vividly. So I was thirsty, okay? This was real thirst. This was not like being parched. This was dangerous kind of levels of dehydration, right? And finally this guy stops. And he has an ice chest in the back of his truck. And there's nothing in it except melted ice. And he backs up there and he pops that little drain plug. And you cannot imagine what that looked like, what that sounded like, and what that tasted like. It was really cold, so you get the brain freeze going with it. But that fountain, I mean, you can imagine going through a desert and coming to an oasis and you have this crystal clear blue pool of water, refreshing. That's what your tongue can be when used correctly. That's what our words should be. That's what we should strive after. Oh, Lord, let us use our language. Let us use our mouths. Let us use our keyboards to be that refreshing fountain. And also a fig tree. It can be nourishment, spiritually speaking, Our words and our language should be feeding the soul, not destroying it. It should be guiding it. It should be guiding the horse to the green pastures, right? The shepherd leads the sheep. That's what we should be striving for in all of this. So, just to, just to kind of sum this up. James is just wanting, as he writes this, the Holy Spirit is convicting and he is guiding us and he is leading us to use 
our language, to think before we talk, um, before you speak, before you hit post, even before you share something that somebody else said. Because when you share those things, you realize you align with it, right? I mean, when it, no matter what it is, um, ask yourself, which one of these three areas? Uh, break this three, these, these verses down. Which one of three, these three areas do those words fit into? Are they under control and guiding like a rudder or the bit in a mouth, in the mouth of a horse? When you, are those words going to do that? Are they guiding? Or are they a little flame or a drop of poison that is going to spread throughout the whole supply? It's going to burn down the forest. It's going to burn down the house. Or is it a fresh fountain or fruit to replenish and encourage? And if it's not the first one or the third one, if it's that little flicker of fire or it's that little drop of poison and you realize this could be detrimental, even if it just could be detrimental, stop, rethink it, rephrase it, or don't say it at all. And God will bless that. God will honor us. And He will move us into deeper relationship with Him and a deeper maturity in Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank You, God, for Your conviction. I thank You for Your Word, which always brings conviction. And God, I pray that I would have a deeper desire for it. I'd have a deeper desire for You. Lord, and on this specific instance of our language, of our tongue, God, I pray that you would help me to bridle mine. God, teach me to use my tongue. Teach me to use the language in a way that would be like that refreshing drink of water or that sweet piece of fruit. God, providing nourishment. God, that should be our desire. If that's not anybody in here's desire, I pray, God, that you would penetrate their heart. That you would give them a desire to, to bless others, to bless you, to bless your church, to go forward with your gospel all with that same language that you've given us, Father. I thank you, God, for, for the fathers here. And I know, Lord, that we are blessed to have men who come and lead their families to church, lead their families in, in Christ. And I thank you for each one of them. I pray that the, they would enjoy their day. And God, that all of us would give glory to you in that. In Jesus' name, amen.